one of the things that can be really tough as a sales leader is having a goal that you are being given a sales target and having a compelling vision that gets every single individual rep bought into that goal, feeling ownership over it, feeling an emotional attachment and wanting to hit that goal or the increase in quota you know, that they need to hit without uh, feeling like it just came from nowhere and that they're being asked to do more with less. And if that's a position that you've ever been in as a sales leader or as a rep, that's what I'm going to talk about today with my guest, Anthony Ianarino, who's back on the podcast again. And if you're listening here for the first time, thanks for checking out Outbound Squad. On this podcast, my goal, uh, my name is Jason Bay. Uh, I'm the founder and CEO of Outbound Squad and host of this podcast. My goal is to help you turn complete strangers into paying customers. So if you're an account executive doing full cycle sales and prospecting and selling or an SDR, BDR, someone doing primarily prospecting and trying to get appointments through emails, cold calls, that sort of stuff, you're definitely in the right place. So in this conversation, uh, it's a fun one. Anytime you get to chop it up with Anthony, it's always a Always a good time, but he just came out with a book called Leading Growth. Definitely check it out on Amazon. And it's really all about how as a sales leader or an aspiring sales leader, you can really create effective transformation within a company. So whether that's getting your team to adopt more of an outbound approach, moving up market into bigger deals, cross-selling new products, whatever it might be, we're going to dig into how to set the vision, how to use stories, create champions, and really create identity shift. Uh, we're also going to talk about accountability and how there can be no accountability without consequences and other very just tactical things that you can do as a leader to get people to buy into your vision uh, and execute on the vision as well. So looking forward to uh, having you listen to this. And without further ado, let's get to the interview with Anthony. This conversation almost turned into a huge Van Halen jam session. <laughs> at, at any time that could happen. When yeah. we're both here and neither one of us will be unhappy with talking about Van Halen. Yeah. Normally, um, like whenever we talk, there's Van Halen and then there's the hell's going on. And then uh, and then something about prospecting. Yeah. Uh, sales, sales nerd talk after that. That's how it goes. Yeah, that sounds like a good conversation to me. Um, I'm curious, like when I was reading your book, one of the things that I, I love talking to you about is uh, with the experience that you have, there's a lot of just patterns that you start to pick up over time when you do something, yeah. right? And uh, I'm wondering for you, how long does it take for you when you are talking to a sales leader, let's say for the first time, for you to have like a pretty good idea of kind of what the culture is like at that company? four to five seconds. I mean, oh, normally it's yeah. very, very fast. And you're asking this because you're, yeah. you've now been doing this long enough that you walk in and you see the pattern like yeah. so fast. And this is one of the things I've warned salespeople about is like the discovery is not for us. It's for them. Like they have to go through the conversation. And so when you walk in and you're like, there's no accountability here, <laughs> you can see that uh, they will say something like, uh, my team won't prospect. And it's like, 
that's not them. <laughs> that's you. Uh, they would yeah. prospect for another leader. And that's my favorite question to ask leaders is when somebody fires you and replaces you, when that person comes in, what are the first three decisions that they're going to go like, what the hell was Jason thinking? Like, why did he let them get away with not prospecting for nine months? Like, how did that happen? And that's some of the things that you have to see is like the thing that you don't want to address. That means some other leader is going to have to come in and address it. So the book leading growth is my recipe for people. Just like you have to look it in the eye. Like you just have to look straight at it and say, I got to do something about this. Because if you don't, then you will not get net new revenue and you will not be successful. And then somebody else ends up taking that role because the one thing that we're responsible for all the time is growth. Uh, And that's net new revenue growth. You hit your quarterly goal, you hit your annual goal, the number goes up every time, right? Every time it just goes up. And if you leave these things alone and you don't address them, very, very difficult for you to get net new revenue. Yeah. I almost, let me know if you kind of look at it differently. Like your book, if I could sum it up in like a sentence, it would be like really how to lead transformation, like how to successfully lead transformation. Cause that's, what's really required um, at these companies, like within like the sales leaders really like, I kind of see it in a couple of different categories. There's people that don't recognize that a transformation needs to happen. There are people that do recognize that it needs to happen, but are afraid to go about doing it. And then yeah. I see another category of people that see that needs to happen are trying to like make this transformation happen, but they just kind of don't have the tools and the, or the talent or the buy-in or whatever it is to make that happen. And then I guess there's a fourth category of people that do it successfully. Am I like, what do you feel about kind of like those buckets, like in your work and that you see, how do you, how do you typically see it? I guess, from a macro standpoint, before we kind of zoom in to some of these situations. Most of the time, what I find is that, so we don't really train sales managers, like not, not yeah. a lot of people do this. So they don't get a lot of, of information about how to be a good leader. And it is a leadership role. So we can call them a sales manager. But if you're a sales manager, if, if somebody says, uh, Anthony, are you a good sales manager? No, I'm not a good sales manager. I'm just a good sales leader. Like uh, sales management is a, is a lower bar than a sales leader. And you have to lead your team. So that that is why we call it leading growth. Like it's about you leading your team. And the group that doesn't even understand like what they need to do at the beginning. So that first category, they need a lot of help. And if they're if they lack the confidence to go into a transformation, and you're right, this book is about a transformation. Because let's say that you go and you you have a $20 million quota. Okay, so you have 20 million as a leader. Well, when you re- hit that 20, then the next year, you're going to ask to be $24 million. Like you, We're going to ask you to get four. Where's that other 4 million coming from? So I have to transform again, because if I could have got the 24 doing what I was already doing, I would have got it this year, but I didn't. Yeah. So now I have to go back and say, what has to change now? Because we can get to 20 with what we did last year, but we can't get to 24. We would have already done it. So where are we getting $4 million? What has to happen? What do we need to change? What do I need to change? And I will tell you, the leader's change always has to happen first. Like I'm going to change how I lead so that I can get my additional four 
so that I can get uh, a new quota the next year for 29 million or whatever the number it's going to go up, right? So you're always in a transformational role. And it's because the goal always goes up. And that means that you have to change something to do that. The group that understands this, there are some sales leaders who are just very, very good at walking in and imposing the transformation on a team. They've got good uh, relationships with people. They're a good, strong leader. They will listen to you. They will have conversations with you, but they will not negotiate with you. They will tell you, this is what we're doing. This is what my team is going to do. And if you're going to be part of my team, this is what we're doing. That's it. So I'm happy to talk to you about it. And I, I actually say this to people, like, I'll, I'll listen to you for as long as you want to talk. But at the end, we're still doing this. And then they normally say something like, well, if we're already going to do this, then there's not a lot of reason for me to have a talk. Okay, I agree. I accept that. Like, sometimes as the leader, you have to lead. And if you know what's right and good and what's necessary, you have to impose it on people. Now, you don't have to impose it in a punitive way, but you do have to make sure that there's this vision at the beginning. Like, this is where we're going. This is who we're going to be. When I get to have conversations with sales leaders and sales managers, there's no, who are we? It's what are we doing? Yeah. yeah and, and let me see the activity. No, it's who are we? It's the identity that actually helps with that transformation. And so I've always had a team. And when I was in staffing, that team was charged with being the most effective sales organization in the industry. That's what I wanted from them. So whole bunch of rules, like there's a whole bunch, of, if you read that much of this, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that I expect. Like I expect you to in very large companies that think that we're strategic, that will appreciate what we do and be willing to pay for it. And you're going to prospect for 90 minutes every day. I mean, I have things that this is the kind of sales force that I want. And if you don't want to be that, then you can find another sales organization. Now, I'm not saying that cruelty. I'll try to convince you. I'll, I'll yeah. do everything in my power to help you come along with us. But it, that's what it really is. It is about transformation. And so you can't go from A to B without changing something in between. And if you don't understand that there's always a transformation, then you're not going to do very well. You can't, you can't do what you need to do next year by doing the same thing that you did this year. It just doesn't work. I've tried it. I know this. I know this personally. Yeah. I mean, there's so much to unpack there. And I just, the first word, I guess, that comes to mind, and this is sort of how the book is laid out too, is you talk about vision. And what I thought with that is, and I don't bring up these examples to throw these people under the bus. It's more coming from a place of compassion and really wanting to help my clients. And I see certain situations where, you know, a VP of sales, for example, is being asked to grow by 20%. And you can see this VP in front of their team of, you know, directors and managers. And the way that they communicate the vision, it's very much a number, like you said, and there's yeah. really a lot of purpose behind that number. And people don't really feel any sort of emotional attachment to that number. And my question is, you you had a really good quote in the book from Edward Abbey. It was growth for the sake of growth is the ideology of the cancer cell. And I thought that was really interesting. It's like, what is the purpose of this growth and how to create buy-in around it? Do you have any advice for a sales leader that's in that position that, hey, maybe they didn't really set the target. They're kind of being tasked as the general, so to speak, for lack of a better analogy. 
of getting the team bought in around this? How, how should someone think about that vision and like creating buy-in on the team? Here's what I personally do and what I personally like. So let's think about this in all of the stakeholders that matter. So let's let's talk about the stakeholders. The salesperson is working because they need to take care of their family. That's in large part why they're working. It's because they have to take care of themselves and they have to take care of their family. So if I let you have a low standard and, and I let you just coast along and you're making, say, $55,000 a year, but on target, you would be making $180,000 a year if you got there. That person's being harmed by not being asked to reach their potential and get to the, the amount of money that they should be earning in this role. Then the family's also suffering. So they might not be suffering. They may not feel that suffering, but there is money and resources that are not going to them that is available for the person who would actually commit to the process of changing and improving their effectiveness in sales. So then we go to the clients. When we're not prospecting, when we're not effective, when we're not having the right conversations, then that client isn't going to buy from us and they're not going to get the better results that they need. So we're harming our clients or our prospective clients at the same time. And when we don't go out and do this and we don't grow our own company, then we're not fulfilling our mission. Our mission is to help people get these results. And when we're not doing this, so my view is every stakeholder gets harmed when we don't do the right thing. Every single stakeholder, from the individual to the client, to the company, to the family, everybody's getting harmed. And so if you uh, if you pay attention to Grant Cardone at any level, like he will tell you something like, uh, success is my duty, my responsibility, and whatever. He's got the third thing on there. I don't remember what it is, but I listen to that and I'm like, that's right. Like you do. You are responsible for, for doing what you can do here and taking care of your people. So I think of it that way. And I think if you just say, uh, Jason, I just got the numbers. It's $28 million. I'm going to need you to put in another $2 million this year. Jason's like, yeah, I love this. Like, <laughs> this. Like, but if I say, Jason, like uh, you were up 27% last year. You made amazing changes. Our number went up. And I'm going to count on you to help me with part of this. Because I believe that you can go up another 20% at least this year if we spend some time together coaching and if we can get you some more uh, large accounts in the territory that you have right now, I think we can get there and I'm going to ask you for your help. Like You can have a different kind of conversation with people and it's about them. And you can also invite them to be part of this. Like We are going to be the most effective sales force in our industry. Or if that's too big for you to think about at the beginning of this, then we're going to be the best in our company. We'll be the best team in the company. And we might not have the highest revenue, but we'll have the highest growth rate this year. So you could you could do like, this is who we're going to be. We're going to be the ones that grow faster than everybody else. And maybe we'll catch up to them in the future. And then we'll not only be growing faster and we'll have the highest revenue in the company. Give them something to do outside of uh, make your number and uh, we'll pay you more commission. And most people just aren't, I don't know how far you read into the book, but most people aren't money motivated. Nope. It, it, the top 5% is 383,000. A lot of people live on a lot less than that. The top 10% is about 110,000 or some number like that. 
So when people think that you can only motivate people with money, they're wrong. Like they're, they want a family. They want to spend time with their family and their friends. They want other things. They, they often want comfort. And that's why they get stuck at 55 when they could be at 180 is that they get to a comfortable level and that's their lid. And you have to give them a bigger lid and say, I got to give you a bigger lid so you can go up a, a couple levels. Yeah. There's so much just inside of what you said and how you communicated that, that I don't want to gloss over. A part of what I heard you say was, here's what we're bringing to the table to help you. Yeah. And there's ownership in that. And I know that sounds kind of funny <laughs> to say, but it's, well, there's this higher goal, but here are the, here are the ways that we're going to support you in doing that. It's not just a, Oh, by the way, your quota increased 20% this year. Hit your number, Jason. Get after it. Yeah, that's, that means you're going to need to put in an extra hour or two, you know, every day. Um, what's just your kind of take or vibe on this? I I work with a lot of different types of sales teams. And for the most part, I, I think 80% of the group or so, they may not be the people that put in all the extra time outside of work, but they do want to be pushed. Like they, they like that. They want to grow. So yeah. whenever, I, whenever I sign books, I always have only one thing I write in each book. So I, I never write anything different in a book. Uh, this one is uh, do good work. This is ask, ask again. This is stay hungry. Uh, this is be one up. And this one I write lead, grow. Like you have to grow, your team has to grow. And if you're not having that conversation about what we bring to this and how we're going to help you grow, you're missing a, a, a deep understanding of how teams work. And I, I had this conversation earlier today. I was on a web, webinar. And I, I'm just stunned by like every couple months, there's a senior sales leader, VP normally. And what they'll put on LinkedIn is, um, I never take cold calls from salespeople. I mean, that's what they type in. And, and I will never buy from you if you make a cold call. I will disqualify you for even making a cold call. And their people are making cold calls <laughs> like that VPs, those, they have their own people making cold calls and then they're projecting to them that senior leaders don't take cold calls. Okay. So I, as I was thinking about this, like you don't want to talk to salespeople, then you don't know any salespeople and you don't know any salespeople, which means you can't recruit any salespeople because you've never talked to any of them to know which ones are great. And which ones are terrible because you've never engaged any of them. So I take every cold call that comes to me and I take meetings from some people, even though I'll tell them I'm not going to be interested in buying, but I'm happy to, to tell you what I think. And if I, I know you, then you know maybe we can do something else. But I'd like to know a whole bunch of salespeople if I'm a sales leader and they don't think that way. And so you're not getting the talent that you could get. And there's only two things you can do. You can buy talent or you can build talent. talent. You should do both. So you should be always recruiting and not waiting for HR to do this for you. And at the same time, you have to invest in your team. And the more you invest in the team, the better your results. So when you see people like Nick Saban, uh, Brian Day here at Ohio State, when you start to look at these people who are legendary at developing, like they have a great development plan, every single person is expected to get better. My nephew played at Ohio State. I went and watched. Like they expect you to grow. Like you are going to grow while you're with us. You're going to be. You're you're the best. You're five star high school. 
you're a three here. <laughs> you got to get to five here if you're going to play football. And you have to think about it this way. This person comes to you. They've got some talent. You have to help them with the rest of the talent. So some part of this book is about how do we get them more effective so that they can be what we need them to be. That is the leader's responsibility in my view. Yeah. I got one more question on just the vision and the communication of this, just uh, kind of like from a sales executives, like a one-to-many, you know, kind of thing before we get to the one-to-one kind of communication, I guess. Um, we talked about this in a chat we had last week. Nobody Where was thinking to that though, because uh, yeah, I just you, so. <laughs> um, it's this uh, <clears throat> inability to, I guess, get in, front of their sales team as a group on a zoom meeting or in person and to really just for lack of a better word sell that's the thing i've been talking about to a lot of people right now just you know whether i'm doing a training or coaching uh, a group of leaders or reps like a lot of times when i'm talking to leaders i'm like you guys get that just because you're in sales leadership doesn't mean that you stop selling like literally the same principles of having stories to tell, um, starting with a problem and then, you know, problem solution type of thing, like, um, challenging people, like all of this stuff applies to like leading your team too, <laughs> you yeah, know, right, it's like right. almost the same exact stuff. What advice do you have? Is there anything practical that if a, a VP or someone like that is getting in front of their team and having to kind of communicate this thing for the first time and really create buy-in as a group, like one or two practical or tactical things they might think about when they're thinking about the message that they're going to say and they're going to communicate it. I think you have to start with the why change. So if you're asking your team yeah. to do something different, you have to start with the why change and you have to explain why this is necessary now. And then after that, you have to invite people to this and say, here's how we're going to grow as a team. And we're, we are going to grow as a team so that we can actually reach this vision. So whatever the company gave us as a quota, that's that's important. We'll take care of that. But each of us is going to grow and we're going to reach our potential together. We're going to work very hard at this together. And I'm going to ask each of you, you all have different skill sets that other people need to learn. And I'm going to ask you to do some of the teaching and some of the helping so that everybody gets to level up because it will take all of us to do this. And we'll all be better for it because every stakeholder we know is going to be benefiting from what we do here over the next year. So, but then you have to say, I can't keep saying that same thing over and over again. <laughs> I have to have some new ways to say it. Yeah. So if you say something once, I promise you that there will not be a single action taken after you say it one time. <laughs> not one, not a half of a, like not, not even somebody will like, I'll even just turn the paper over to see what's on it. They won't even look like nobody cares until you say it 150 million times. They didn't yep. hear it. So what you have to do is you have to start by saying, I need new stories. So I got to capture every good story. So when Jason calls me and he goes, Hey, Anthony, here's what happened on this call. It was really interesting. This guy challenged me and he said, I don't even believe your company can do what you said they could do. And, I, and then I get to go like, well, Jason, what did what did you say? And you're like, uh, I didn't believe it myself. I'm not sure I still believe it. But if you let me give you five minutes of content about how we do this, it might be interesting for you. What do you got? Like, I mean, in, in I, anything that does something like that. Now I'm going to tell this story. Like Jason got challenged like this. This is what he did. I can share this. 
then there's always new data. There's always new information coming in. And so you can change the story. You can change the data. You can change the action that you want somebody to do. And if there's any kind of trends that you notice, like these trends are showing up, all of that is rich content to say the same thing over again, but with novelty. Like you can't just keep saying, hey, I need you guys to hit your numbers. Yeah, we know, boss. You know, we're working on it. Yeah, but I need you guys to hit your numbers. Okay, that isn't going to work for you. Uh, you have to invest deeply in the communication. And I would call it uh, ruthless execution of communication. Like it has to be constant. As soon as you give up and you don't say something that you've been saying for the last year, it's gone forever. Then you have to start all over again. One of my favorite clients, we were on an airplane and uh, he said, you know, I say the same thing every time we speak, right? And I said, yeah, and it's perfect. Like everybody believes that they're not a travel agent. They believe they're a travel counselor. And he said, yeah, but I feel like I'm repeating myself. And I said, well, every time you repeat yourself, about 10% or more people believe what you said. So change the stories, uh, change the data, change other things so they get new information. And it's not boring. Make it so it's not boring and it's interesting to people and they're learning something. We love to learn. Human beings love to learn things that they don't know. And if it's a good talk track or it's a good thing that they can share with the client, they'll steal it right out of the way. I mean, as soon as you give them that insight, that's their insight as soon as they hear it. So that's what the leader needs to do full time. That's your full time job communicating. Yeah. It's the multiplier effect of of the stories that get told internally and using them. And uh, the other thing, too, that I sort of picked up from what you said there, too, and that I always try to do when I'm working with a new company is find who are my champions. <laughs> so I always meet with a couple reps beforehand, and it's like, hey, now I can mention them by name on the call. Yeah. And I know that they're going to listen and take action on everything. And I really see a huge missed opportunity in teams for like that where the the senior leaders aren't thinking like, who are my go-to like few people that really latch onto this, that to your point, I can share those stories and they can share the story too. And it's like so much, um, it's like internal marketing within your company. You're you know, it's just like, yeah, just like creating content. Like you would never post content on LinkedIn or a blog or a podcast and just say the same thing over and over again. You would repackage it and tell a different story to your point, you know, and it's the same kind of thing here. You're doing internal PR and marketing around this you're initiative. selling the vision like you're selling the transformation you're selling those things you have to stay on yeah. point for a very long time if you want to win yeah i love that uh, i want to talk about the communication piece what i love and i was just talking to another company about this uh, a couple weeks ago because i was asked well how do we basically something along the lines of this same situation. We need more from our reps. How do we get them to want to do this? You know, kind of thing. You know, it was, a, it was an interesting question. And you said uh, in your book, there was these like list of questions that uh, we need to kind of answer when we're communicating with this. And the last couple were as a rep, what's expected of me? What's in it for me? Why does my contribution matter? Can yeah. you talk a little bit more about that? I don't, I have no idea why people don't already understand this and know this, but people do things for their reasons, not for <laughs> your reasons. And when you start to say like, this is what I'm expecting of you and why, and it's because I need to hit my number. Well, that's not about Jason. Like Jason's like, that has yeah. nothing to do with me. Right. Uh, so 
when you when you do this and you say, you know, this is what we're charged with, and this is what your contribution needs to be, and this is how we're going to make sure that you reach your full potential, because you are going to have more income coming in. You're going to be able to take better care of your people. Uh, you're going to have a bunch of babies at some point, Jason, and then you got to pay for them to go to college. And they're probably going to be like you, like they're kind of on the bubble there, maybe not going to get uh, the Harvard uh, free payment thing that uh, some people get. So you might not have that. You might have a kid like mine who goes to multiple colleges before she finds out that she doesn't want to go to college. And you spent uh, about $80,000 sending her to places where she got. I'm just complaining now, I guess. But but you have to tell people what's in it for them because they do it for the reason. And if you don't know what the reasons are, then you can't have a good coaching conversation with them. They're motivated by something. Hopefully it's not comfort. Hopefully they have other things and real goals that they want. But if you don't know those and you don't speak to those things, then you're you're not speaking to them at all. They're not hearing you. It has to be about them. That's what you're trying to do is you're trying to engage what they want and say, this is how we get you there. We have a vehicle here. This vehicle is going out and selling this so that we can actually get you where you need to go. And that's the choice that we made here when we decided to be in sales. Like that's the vehicle for us. It's always interesting to me. There's lots of vehicles. Like you can be an entrepreneur. Uh, you can make a whole bunch of money being an employee. Uh, you can do it. You you just have to figure out like what's the vehicle for you. And once somebody picks the vehicle, that's the vehicle. And their goals are attached to that vehicle. And you have to make that connection. Like. Those things that you say you want, this is the vehicle to get you there. And if you're not talking to them like that, then I, I think you're making a huge mistake. And I do know because I've been around reps long enough that they ask these questions. Why are we doing this? Yep. We did good last year. Like we had a good year last year. Why are we making these changes? That's a fair question, right? It's a fair question to say, I want to understand why we're doing this. There's a number of questions in the book that if you would start answering them, Instead of saying the same thing over and over, you can answer each of the different questions lots of different times, and then it starts to become who we are and what we do and why we do it. And then you're in a better place. Yeah. Take them. Yeah. Uh, take a copy of the book. I'll send you some. And then just I, I find that if you just like really just hit the person with the book like that, <laughs> you know, it works great. Yeah, you get their full attention for a minute or two. And then you can just open up and show them like, hey, why don't you start answering some questions for people so they know where we are? Or you're running the other direction because uh, you're about to get your ass kicked <laughs> one or the other. <laughs> Maybe tap. Just give them a tap. Yeah, a little love tap. Um, I, uh, Yeah, I think the really practical takeaway from that is the the vision is communicated and it's like, each manager have that one-on-one -on -one conversation with a rep and like, you should literally have this documented. There should be a little one pager. Uh, oftentimes I, uh, we would do this through a spreadsheet or some sort of type form where like, literally it's like, dude, I just, I want to know what personally motivates you and why you're doing this. And yeah, so many people, especially in sales, they might get into sales on accident. Like, like most of us do, but yeah. they stay in sales because they see the income potential. For a yeah. lot of people, the lifestyle component. There's so many things that are so personal that 
if we can create an emotional attachment to the outcome that we want and understand why they want to do it, it's really powerful to your point. But yeah, you got to ask. You got to actually take the time to learn you, what that is. Do it in the interview. Like I'm going to say, Jason, uh, outside of work, what are you most passionate about? Yeah. And, and like, what what do you guys, what, what's your concerns? Like, what do you care about? Like, and what, what is it that you want? Like longer term, what do you want? Like, I don't ask you, where do you want to be in five years? I want to know what you want. If I know what you want, then I know how to talk to you about it because we were back talking about the vehicle. So I have the vehicle to get you there if, if you will do the work, right? So, I, and I'll help you. I think if the leader says, here's the resources that we're going to apply to make sure that you, this is the vehicle that you're going to be able to get there with. If you make these changes, this is how we'll get you there. I mean, and that's what the leader should be doing for their team. Mm-hmm. I think this is a good segue into something you talked a lot about in the book around accountability. And uh, when you do these things, the accountability part doesn't feel so much like a analogy I heard someone use is, you know, a parent bugging a child to brush their teeth. It does. It feels less like that and more like I'm holding you accountable to the thing that you committed to. And I think that's the most powerful form of accountability is when someone commits to something and they're being held accountable to the thing that they already have buy-in, you know, around. Yeah. But to kind of backtrack a bit, how do you define accountability how do you think about because that word is thrown around a lot and executed you know in a lot of different ways how do you define accountability we we all have these goals that are shorter term goals so that's the accountability for doing certain things so i think that it starts with very very clear expectations the person understands why we have those expectations of them why it's important to them, why it's important to every stakeholder, which I keep talking about because I think it's really true. I think you let a lot of people down when you don't do your job. But I want to make sure that there's guardrails so that doesn't happen to you. So the first thing is, is people say uh, things like, uh, Jason, um, I need my people to make some more calls. How many calls? Well, more than they make now. No, how many? Like, how, how many? Like, what what do you expect from them? Like. Well, I expect them to make more calls than they're making now. They have no idea what you want. Like you're so unclear about what it is. If you said something like, I want you to dedicate 90 minutes to prospecting every day, that's seven and a half hours of your week. And we think that that's enough for you to be able to get the meetings that you need to create the opportunities so that you can reach your goals, not just our goals, but your goals as well. If you don't give people clarity on what it is that you actually expect them to do, they make two calls. They're like, uh, he told me to make, well, I made one call yesterday, so I made two today. I doubled my calls. Is that good? Not so good. <laughs> Not so good. And and so they, they say things like, I need you to prospect more. That doesn't mean anything. Like, I need to know what you expect from me. And then if I have the expectations, then we can move on and we can start having a conversation about uh, what kind of resources do I have that will make this easier for you? Uh, what are you going to do when you need help? Uh, I mean, so you can start going down the list of things that you can do to make sure that these things happen. But I like guardrails. So I won't let you go a week without telling me what meetings you had and what new opportunities you created, because I'm afraid that you're going to have a zero followed by another zero followed by another zero. And then I'm three weeks gone with a, opportunities. Maybe I needed two opportunities a week from you. And I didn't get them for those three. Now you're behind six. And I let you do that. 
I let you do that. That's my fault that I didn't check before that. And if you're a zero and a zero and a zero three weeks in a row, I'm not waiting a week. Uh, we're going to talk on Wednesday and, and we're going to go through everything that you did because I'm not going to let you fail. If I have to do something about it, I'm happy to do something about it. If you need resources, you need training, you want to sit with Jason and Jason will show you how to make calls and you can listen to him. He's got uh, templates, uh, all kinds of templates for different things. And uh, some of them that I'm like, I don't like that, but it works. <laughs> and so it doesn't matter if I like it or not, because it works. And he's proving that it works. And people are going like, I made eight meetings this week uh, because of this template. Don't, don't take my advice then. Like if it works, it works. But I will do something like I have to help them before they harm themselves. And then I also think it's very important that we talk about, if you talk about accountability, humane consequences. Yeah. can't be a punitive environment. You will ruin the whole culture if people think that it's punitive and that you're going to be punished for not doing things that are hard to do, Jason. They're hard to do. It's hard to get a meeting. It's hard to create value for a client in a meeting. It's hard to win deals. It's All these things are hard things that we ask people to do. And when you just say, like, good luck with this, it's not, it's not a great leadership move. The leader has to care enough about their people that they can know, understand like where they need help and then get them the help that they need. So I care about that. So basically, if you're failing, I'm going to I'm going to coach you. I'm going to get you some additional training. I'm going to let you sit with people who are really good at making a phone call and you can steal their language from them. You can ask them for help on how to do these things. You can practice. I'll get people together with you to role play whatever I need to do to make sure that you're successful. Then if you decide like, well, I'm still not going to make calls. Now we have another problem. This means you're not really a salesperson. And then now I have to decide, are you customer success? Can I move you somewhere else into the place uh, where you're going to be much more valuable to somebody? And if they say, well, you know what? I don't want to be a customer success person. Well, then, then you have to move to, I have to replace this person. And, and then you do have to remove them and replace them because if you have a quota and you have a goal and the goal is designed for 20 people to do this and reach this goal, and I have two people that have decided they're not going to prospect anymore, I have to have two people that are willing to prospect and go out and create those opportunities. So I have to do something about you. And a large part of this book is me giving people the confidence to go do these things because you have to do something about it. It doesn't get better on its own. Small problems become giant problems later on. And by the time you figure out it's a giant problem, you can't do anything about it. It's too much. You lost all the time. So tiny monsters grow up to be giant monsters. So if you have to fight a monster, fight a small monster where you got a, an upper hand here. And don't wait until it gets giant and it's hard for you to do something about. But that's what a lot of leaders do. They let it go too long. And the longer they let it go and the longer it goes unaddressed, the longer it will go unaddressed. So as soon as you see these things, you have to do something about them immediately. And that's part of accountability. If you're not doing the work, if you're going to fail, I have to intervene. Yeah. Can there be accountability without consequences? No. Yeah. No, there has to be consequences. They can yeah. be humane. But my yeah. idea of humane, my children did not think was humane. So uh, you know me well enough to know that 
on one breath, I can talk for three to four hours. Uh, I mean, it's not that hard for me to keep talking. So whenever they got in trouble, I would sit them in front of me in my office. And I would say, we're just going to have a little chat for a while about character and these things. And about two hours in, kids are going like this. Take my car keys. Take the car keys. I don't. I won't need to drive. It's fine. Just let me out of this room. I can't listen to you talk anymore. Uh, they did not think that that was humane. I never. I've never struck any of my kids because I don't want them to ever believe that violence is a way to solve problems. Talking uh, problems out turns to be turns out to be the right thing to do with children, even yeah. if they suffer through it for a while. But now my youngest daughter, who was sitting in my office frequently, um, she's a frequent flyer there. Uh, now she will say, "My friend is not doing well, and I'm going to bring her over, and I want you to talk to her." <laughs> and now I'm talking to kids that aren't my kids. They're like, she's messed up. She needs to understand this. So they bring them over and I talk to them until they're like, uh, thank you, Mr. Anarino. And 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 generally they're they're happy because nobody's told them what I tell them. But I, I want them to understand like it's character, like it's all character stuff. And and that's where your success and your your failures come from. It's mostly character issues. And so if you get good character and you're disciplined and you do everything that you're supposed to do, it's easy. If you don't, it's hard. So that was my humane consequences. But you can say, I'm going to tighten up the time that we have where we have a, a review of what you're doing. So I'm not going to let you go a week. I'm going to have a halfway point. We're going to talk about this. I'm going to ask you to sit with Jason and I'm going to ask you to write down everything he says and why I want you to ask him why he said that and what he thought it was supposed to do for him and what the client did when they responded. I'm going to make them think and work on these things because I want them to succeed until they give up. I'll probably go a long time. I've let people go a long time before I give up on them just because I don't like giving up on people. Yeah. They give up on themselves normally before I would. Yeah. That's when I was reading the book, it made me smile when I read that the humane consequences, you get to have more training. You get more help. You yeah. get more time, you know? And, uh, it's it's interesting because I don't know, I'm making a broad generalization here that most of the salespeople that I encounter and work with, they like sales because they can be independent. They don't yeah. like the thought of having someone hold their hand or being uh, put in a place where they need to have extra help and training is it's not quite humiliating, but it's it's not what they want to be doing. You know what I mean? So it's a. Uh, it's kind of funny, you know, in that regard, but it, I it put a smile on my face because that's, I get asked that a lot where you know, people are not, you're giving the rep the benefit of the doubt, you know, the common thing, Hey, the rep's not prospecting, not making the calls, whatever. Uh, I need to discipline them. And it's like, maybe they need more help with time management. Maybe they need more training because they don't know what to say. It's like, it's give them the benefit of the doubt first. Okay. There's, there's usually a pretty good reason why people, don't do stuff, even if that's just call reluctance and they're afraid, you know, to pick up the phone. But I, again, it made me smile when I read that because it's the exact opposite of what you hear in most companies of, of, yeah. around accountability and, because, and consequences. It's a punishment. You, know, you, you have salespeople that will listen to this or watch it or both. One of the things that I would say is if somebody offers you the gift 
of training and the gift of development. And even if it's because your results aren't where they would want you to be, take every opportunity to get more information and more perspective every time it's offered to you. Don't feel any negative uh, feelings about being asked to go to more training or to, to take courses or to study with someone. Do never, never, ever refuse that. Never refuse it. This book is about being one up. There's also being one down. The fastest way to get out of being one down and not knowing and having the experience that you need is to go to somebody who already knows how to do this and then learn from them so you speed up your development. So never, ever be ashamed. If somebody comes to you and says, I need to give you help here because you're not getting the right results, I want to give you additional training. I'm going to give you uh, uh, Jason's program, whatever it is. Like, that's great. Take that and and run with it. And when you're done, say, is there anything else I can do? Ask, ask for more. Like, get as much help as you can get. I mean, it's an education. And the thing about call reluctance is there's only one way through it. I only know one way through it. And that's desensitized. I mean, being desensitized. The only way you get desensitized is just eat all of the no's. Like you're going to get a whole bunch of no's. You eat all of them. Like you eat every single one of them. And you say, uh, thank you, sir. May I have another? Until the no is like this. You're, you hear like, it sounds like this. Nope. Like it doesn't have any impact on you. Like that's a weak no. And then you know it's a weak no. And you're smiling because you know what a weak no sounds like. And, yeah. and you're like, they're not even committed to their own no. They just don't yeah. know that you're going to create value. And so they say no, because that's what they think they're supposed to do to protect their time. You should get as much development as you possibly can. And for the, as long as you're alive, there's, there's always another level. Always. Yeah. No, I love that message. And we're about out of time, but I wanted to give, if you could, a little sneak peek. There's another big section of the book I thought was really interesting around leadership styles. And it was almost like where I was expecting it to go when I was reading it is, oh, like the different types of sales leaders. You, which bucket do you fit in? And it was not necessarily that. It was, hey, there's different styles of sales leaders. You have a lot of these different styles in you, and, you, and it's important to know when to use them. And one of them was the autocrat, which I yeah. thought was funny, the person that's just my way or the highway. Uh, versus the laissez-faire, which I, I relate with you. You mentioned that that's more your style. That's my go-to style too, is I want to be hands-off, remove obstacles out of your way, and yeah. assume that uh, you're going to be a bulldozer and just uh, do, do your stuff. But can you give just a little kind of preview of like what would someone, a sales leader, take uh, from kind of reading through that section and getting a better idea of the different it's, types of leadership styles? It's so important for, for people to understand like part of it is just your style. So you're laissez-faire like me. So I just expect you to be a good person, do the job, you're disciplined, you don't need me to tell you what to do day to day. I gave you your priorities, you're on You're on point. That makes me so happy when that happens. But if someone doesn't do it, then I am absolutely an autocrat. So I'm mostly laissez-faire, but on certain things, I am like completely non-negotiable. Like I'm not gonna negotiate with you on prospecting. I'm not gonna negotiate with you on the approach that we're gonna take as a company. I'm not going to uh, have any kind of negotiation about what my priorities are for you and for our team. I'm happy to listen to you and I'm happy to learn from you, but I'm not going to negotiate. So 
You have to sometimes be an autocrat. You have to sometimes be a bureaucrat. Sometimes you have to figure things out. You have to be strategic. Sometimes you have to be transformational. And sometimes you can be transactional, even though that's the one I hate the most, because it's like, Jason, if you do this, I'll give you more money. And it's like, yeah, that's what you got. <laughs> that's it. You can't help yeah. me in any other way except for tell me that I should do better so I can make more money. Uh, those are our weak choices for most of us. So I think there's some part about being a consensus builder that's important. And if we're solving a problem, I want to hear from everybody. Like I want to hear Jason's got an idea. It seems to be working for him. I want you to share it so we can all get better together. But sometimes you got to be Joseph Stalin. And that's why I have this mustache. It's just because I'm starting to work in that yeah. direction. So that uh, you 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 can't be Cersei Lannister. You can't be Hitler. Like You just need to say, these are the things that I'm non-negotiable on because it's so important to our success. I just have to ask you to commit to it. That's all there is to it. There's not going to be uh, any kind of negotiation available for these few things. Now, if it's 170 things, you're Joseph Stalin. <laughs> if it's yeah. If it's four... If there's four things you care about that you're like, this is, has to just stay this way. It's what I expect. Fine. Good enough. But if you realize that different people need you to be a different leader, your job gets a lot better. And it does. When you understand that this one needs a push, this one needs some help, and, and you start to figure it out, I'm going to treat them all different because they're all different. Yeah. I love the non-negotiables, thinking about what those are for you and I've been using the the word unacceptable a lot lately. Like what are the unacceptable just with myself? Like what are what behaviors are unacceptable? You know, for for like you mentioned prospecting. I love that. <laughs> you know, the 90 minutes a day kind of thing. I'm just thinking about if you just hired someone with that expectation, it wouldn't be such a big deal. Right. You and know? how much like how much would their life be better if they did 90 minutes a day? Oh God, that's an extra 20% of pipeline, 30% of pipeline for most people. Yeah. Their life would be so much better. And if you did it consistently over time, like you're going to be president's club. Like if you can maintain that and you can maintain it, it's 90 minutes, mostly voicemails, right? So I mean, a large part of that, but enough, enough conversations that you convert enough that you have meetings It'll change your life. It's seven and a half hours out of your week of a 40 hour week. So if you have a 40 hour week, it's seven and it's seven hours and, and a half. That's it. That's your whole week of prospecting. If you want to double it, I would let you double it. If you had doubled it and you decided to have two blocks in a day, I mean, I, I don't know how you won't make it to President's Club if you if you're effective enough in the sales conversation. It just yep. it it is. The beginning of the conversation and somebody has to start that conversation and it turns out it's us 90 minutes will help you uh, it'll help you tremendously yeah um this has been great as usual where where can people go to learn more about you grab your book which i highly recommend that you do if you're listening where can people go to do all of that stuff i think outbound squad is uh no, so that's just the prospecting. But go there for sure. If you're not already paying attention to the work that Jason does, do that now. If you're new here, uh, you can find me at thesalesblog.com. I publish there every single day for almost 13 years now. And then uh, the second place is LinkedIn. I really like LinkedIn. I, and I do like to connect with people there. 
And I do like to know salespeople and what they do um, because there are some times where I can help people. So whether I buy or not, I still like to know you. Yeah.